We are called to be in metamorphosis, to be continuously being transformed. And we saw that that is done primarily God being, right? We are transformed by God through the Holy Spirit and His Word as we do our part. In Philippians 2, 12, and 13, last Sunday we said, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do, right? So God works in us to give us desires. God empowers us supernaturally. But we have to work out our salvation. Not work for, work out. Like a math problem. You bring it all the way to completion. It's called sanctification, right? And when does sanctification end? When you're no longer on this planet, right? So we're all in process, right? So all of us can honestly say, please be patient, God isn't finished with me yet. Right? Turn to the person next to you and say, God's not finished with me yet. <laughs> right? Right? God's not finished with me yet. And turn to say, I know. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> so, yeah, some projects are bigger than others, right? So we're all in this process of transformation. So, so that's, oh, okay. Why is that important? It's important because we live in a microwave society. Right? Pop it in the microwave, push the whatever, the button, and three minutes later you get popcorn, and two minutes later you get hot water, and whatever, right? You get dinner. And we kind of get this microwave mentality even as a believer. And you often hear it's, it's a marathon and not a sprint. Well, the marathon is transformation. So if you don't have it all together, it's a marathon. It's okay. The key is, are you moving? Are you moving? Right? And we've asked ourselves the last few weeks, well, why, why might you not be moving? And I use the illustration of maybe in your life you, 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 you came to know Jesus and you started coming to church, reading your Bible, and you made progress, and you really are a different person. But maybe the gears shift from drive into neutral. And maybe now as a believer you just kind of feel like you're doing things and you're pushing on the gas, ring, Wednesday, ring, Sunday, ring, reading my Bible, ring, ring, praying, ring. And, and you feel like you hear the engine, and there's a lot happening under the hood, but you're not going anywhere. But you're not going anywhere, right? And, and we've been asking ourselves the last few weeks, why does it feel like I'm, I'm doing a lot, but I look out the window and scenery hasn't changed, <laughs> Right? And, and we're looking like, okay, so how, so how do we kick it back into drive so we just start moving forward? We just start moving forward. And so we've been, we've been looking at transformation really rooted in faith. Really rooted in faith. And the object of our faith being God and who He is, right? If we're going to step out, if we're going to kick it into drive, and we say we desire to continue this transformation process, it's going con- to call for faith, Right? We've talked a lot about Peter getting out of the boat. Because if we want to be transformed, transformation means change. How many of you like change? <laughs> so, okay. How many are like this with change? How many want nothing to do with change because you're good to go and don't move the furniture? Thank you. Olivia's like, don't move the furniture. Don't move, right? How many of you know when something's been moved in your house? <laughs> right? Somebody did something here. Right? And sometimes spiritually, 
God says, okay, yeah, let's just go on this journey of transformation together. And he wants to move the furniture. Hmm. Really, Jesus? I like that right where it is. I do. In fact, one of the wonderful examples of, of change is when we went from Sunday, uh, Saturday nights. We were here Saturday nights for three years. And then God called us to change to Sunday mornings. We thought it was great. We were excited. Pastor Lynn and the Wesleyans adjusted their start time to allow us to move to Sundays. But a lot of people, and this is not bad, but a lot of people, because we were in Saturday nights for three years, a lot of people were enjoying Sunday mornings at home, <laughs> sleeping in, coffee, reading the paper, right? A lot of people had their Sunday mornings kind of dialed in. I like Sunday mornings off. That was kind of cool. Like, oh, this is what it feels like to be a civilian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever. So we had to change to Sunday mornings. And it's like, oh, this is, this is change. This is change, right? And, and yet it was growth because it was done in faith and obedience and God's bigger plan. Look what has happened. Look what has happened. Because of our willingness to change as a body. But that trickles all the way down to individuals. If we want to transform ourselves, we've got to be willing to change. That change is going to require faith. Faith. And we understood that our faith, the last few weeks, our faith has to be in God. Our faith is not in our faith. Okay? Our faith is not in how much emotion we can rile up within us. Our faith isn't in man. Our faith ultimately has to be in God. Like Peter, right? Peter says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And Peter got out of the boat. Okay? If you and I want to continue in transformation, it's going to require faith. Faith. And you're going to be scared. And you're going to be nervous. And you're going to, uh, you may not even kind of like it at first. But over time, he transforms you more and more into the image of who? Jesus. Right? Jesus. I love the illustration of a, of a sculptor, right? And, and he's sculpting this big, big piece of granite into, into this beautiful animal. And what is he doing? He's knocking away everything that doesn't look like the animal. And so sometimes in our life, God wants to form you, conform you into the image of Jesus. And this transformation process, why is it painful? Because he's knocking away and chipping away things that don't look like Jesus in your life. Now that sounds really cool and we all want that. Until Monday morning comes, and you got to go to work. And he calls you to love that person that's just driving you crazy. Chick, 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 You wanted to be more like Jesus, right? You wanted to love your enemies. They're waiting for you tomorrow morning. Chick, 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 chick. Right? That that that's a transformation. So you know, he says okay. Here we go. But it's a supernatural thing. Amen? That's where he said, Lord, I can't do this. I'm waving a white flag. How many of you have learned that one of the best things you can do in your walk with Jesus is to wave the white flag? Okay, go wave it. Wave it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right? Look at that. Yes. When you wave the white flag, he's like, good. Because oftentimes when we're not willing to wait, wave the white flag, okay. Have at it. Are you ready? I got this. I got this. 
I got this, Lord. I got this. I got this. Oh, okay. No, I blew it again. I don't know. We all we all have our different bottoms, but when you bottom out and you do this, okay, I I can't. Anyone say I can't? Oh, that's hard for some of you, huh? Because we're raised in what? In a culture that says if you say you can't, you're a sissy, you're weak, right? And all along, the Bible says Jesus says, "Hey, without me, you can do nothing." Anyone say nothing? Oh, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. We are to live a life of dependence, faith, a life on the front end. How many of you, like me, our life would be really so much easier if we would acknowledge we can't do anything on the front end? But we go on our merry way. I got this, God. We put him in the passenger seat or the back seat. Ah, come on, Jesus, come for a ride. I got this. And we, you know, we go through all kinds of ups and downs. Da, 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 and finally, finally, we say, okay, Jesus, you drive. How many of us, it would just be so much easier on the front end? Lord, I acknowledge, on the front end, I need you. On the front end, I can't do this on my own. On the front end, I want to be transformed supernaturally. And that's what we're talking about, right? So turn to James, and we're going to continue... Uh, in this book, last week we were in James 1, talking about hearing and doing, right? Hearing and doing. This week we're going to look at James 2, and the relationship of faith and works. Why is that important? Because in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's an action word. It's something you do. And he says, do not be conformed. Romans 12, 2, that's an action. It means Stop. Stop conforming to the world. That, that's an action. Then he says, be transformed. It's another action word. So if we want to be transformed, we're going to have to take action. Okay? You've got to settle that issue. To be transformed requires doing something. It's going to require faith and action. Okay? Now, for a lot of us, and, and, I, and I shared this last Sunday... I know a lot of this is basic, and so I'm going to ask you, please, you've you got to choose not to check out on me because we're going to read verses that you're like, oh, yeah, I get that, get that. Just hang in there, hang in there, because this is so foundational to your relationship with Jesus, your covenant relationship with the Lord, and how it plays out every day, right? So it's going to require faith and action, faith and works in our transformation. Let's look at James 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? 
Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. God's friend. Now, very important. And again, I know this is, this is foundational, but for those maybe here who are new to the faith, kind of checking it out, we have to be very clear. Our salvation, our faith, our relationship with, with the Lord, right, is by faith, not by works. You don't earn it. Everyone say, don't earn it. You don't earn it, right? Now, now we're going to look at some foundational verses, but it's very important because we have to get this. So turn to Romans. Keep your finger on James. Go back to Romans. We're going to look at Romans 5. Romans 5, 1. Apostle Paul says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Justification, right? It's a legal declaration. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified, which means you are declared not guilty, fully righteous. Okay? Not guilty. Everyone say, not guilty, Fully righteous. That in and of itself should give you a woohoo moment. Because as you sit here, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are justified, declared not guilty, declared fully righteous before God. Even if you messed up this week, positionally, you are not guilty. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so when God sees you, he's like, woohoo! He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. See, somebody here needs to... Somebody here, you had a rough week and you're not so sure God, God's thrilled with you. Positionally, you are declared not guilty, fully righteous. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus as you sit here. Amen? All right. It's through faith. Through faith, right? Turn to Galatians, a couple books to the right. We're just going to reinforce this because we have to understand this. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So after 2 Corinthians, Galatians 2. Fifteen. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in, Je- in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified, right? And then turn one more book to the right, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay? Foundational, that's how we get saved. 
Grace through faith. Now turn back to James. And let's try to figure out what James is talking about here. In your notes there it says James uh, 2, 20 to 24. It should actually be James 2, 14 to 24. Alright? So it says there in James 2, 14, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Hmm. So the Apostle Paul, just we just got done reading that. The Paul says we're saved by grace through faith. In James 2.14, James says, Hey, some guy out there is claiming to have faith in Jesus, but he has no deeds. Does that faith save him? Hmm. Are these two guys contradicting each other? Is there a problem here? No. See, what, what Paul is saying, hey, on the front end of salvation, you are saved by grace through faith, right? James is clarifying. He says, hey, do you want to know what kind of faith you were supposed to have on the front end? It's the kind of faith that has works. It's not a contradiction. It's an, it's an expansion. It's an explanation. Now, why is this important? Because there's a whole lot of people who say they have faith in God but their life, you couldn't tell. What's going on? Because it says in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims, says to have faith, but his life isn't backing it up? Can such a faith save him? What's the answer? No. What's he saying here? He says, hey, the kind of faith that saves you that Paul was talking about, that faith will be evident, will be manifested, will be demonstrated in your life. There will be fruit, as Jesus says. Now that's kind of challenging because I saw a survey last night from 2013 that 74% of Americans believe in God. Are 74% of Americans going to heaven? Are they saved then? Because they say that they believe in God? Why is this important? Because a lot of us in this transformation process, we get stuck or we think we're in the game and we're not even started because our definition of faith, our understanding of faith, has not been biblically accurate. Hasn't been complete. And there's a, there's a real familiar verse that kind of has contributed to this. Okay, turn to John 3.16. John 3.16. Familiar passage. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, right? Let's start in John 3.14, and we'll read all the way to go past 16. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of 
God's one and only Son. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The challenging part of that verse is the word in. Because a lot of us were sort of picked up or even taught that, well, okay, based on John 3.16, I just have to believe in Jesus, which, which we equate to, I just have to believe a certain amount of facts of, about Him. I just have to mentally assent. I just have to gr- agree to facts about Jesus, and then I'm saved. Okay? And, and based on the English translation, we believe in. Whoever believes in Him. The challenging part is, if you look at the original language, that word where it says believes in, okay? There's a Greek word that's pronounced en, which is in, our, tip, our word of in. That word in, after whoever believes in him, is a Greek word that you pronounce ice, which actually means into, unto, or for. Okay? What they're saying there is to believe in Jesus is so much more than simple mental assent. The biblical definition of faith is not limited to agreeing to certain historical facts about Jesus. Because see, if you adopt that, then you say, well, I prayed a prayer and I believe in God. Now you're asking me to do works. Why are you adding on all this stuff? Now you're telling me I have to read. Now you're telling me obedience. Now you're telling me I thought all I had to do was believe. See, on the front end, their definition of believe missed the full scope of what was intended. See, in that culture, that phrase believes in was not. In this culture, remember, you have to remember context. In this culture, to say believes in or believes ice was your mind, your emotions, and your will. Your whole being. Right? Your whole being. In our culture, we say believes in, oh, I just have to, I just have to agree. I just have to agree. And then what happens is you come somewhere and, and, and they say verses. You know those verses about Jesus says, if you love me, obey me? Remember that verse? Right? In fact, we saw Jesus says, you are my friends if you obey me. You know that? Right? Jesus talks about him who does my Father's will. This isn't me talking. Jesus, Jesus connects love and obedience in the New Testament. And you're like, well, how is that? I thought I would just say by believing in things. Now Jesus himself says, if you love me, obey me. See, what happens is he's simply speaking out of the the biblical definition of belief and faith, which is your mind, your emotions, and your will, your whole being, and trusting yourself unto him. Putting yourself unto Him. That's to to believe unto, to believe into Jesus, to believe for Jesus, is that I entrust my whole being unto Him. He's like this. It's like this. A lot of us were, were, were raised or picked up that to be saved, I just have to believe a lot of historical facts about Him. What they're saying, the truth is, if this is Jesus, what he's saying is, no, I have to lean. To believe in him, 
is to wait, put my entire being unto Him. This is belief. This is where all those scriptures about obedience come in. It's not an add-on. It was part of the biblical definition of faith from the front end. From the front end. Right? That's what we're talking about. It's kind of like this. Ty, come on up. Thank you, Scott. It's kind of like this. In, look in your notes while Tyler comes up. I put a definition there from, from Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. It says this. The main elements in faith, okay, in that word, uh, the, the Greek word pistis and pistuo, that's the belief in John 3.16. The main elements in faith in its relation to the invisible God as distinct from faith in man are especially brought out in the use of this noun and the corresponding verb. They are, one, a firm conviction, producing full acknowledgement. There's a mind. A personal surrender. A conduct inspired by such surrender. That is a much fuller, accurate definition of biblical faith. That's what it means to believe unto Jesus. That's what it means to have faith. So much more than mental assent than just agreeing to a bunch of facts. Okay? Great illustration of this. In the, in the 19th century, in the 1800s, there was this tightrope walker. Now, maybe last year, in the last few years, you saw that guy, Nick Walenda, right? Tightrope across the Grand Canyon, Chicago, all that kind of stuff. Well, in the 1800s, there was this guy named Charles Blondin. And he strung a rope across Niagara Falls. And he went across the rope several times. All the way across. 1,100 feet, right? He goes across, crowds. After he does it the first time, at one point, he fills his, a wheelbarrow with 350 pounds of cement. And he goes across. Comes back. Ah, crowd's cheering. So he asks the crowd, do you believe I could put a man in there and make it across? Ah, yeah, yeah, you can do it, you can do it. He picks a man who is cheering loudly and says, get in. (laughs) He refused. Well, I thought you believed. You were cheering because you said you believed in him. You said he could do it. Get in. He believed. Are you really going to entrust yourself to him? See, the challenging part, when you just believe in Jesus, there's a separation. I can have my life because I believe all the right stuff and Jesus is over there. Yeah, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe all the Bible says about you, but I believe in you, but I'm separated. I, 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 I still got me. When he says believe into, believe unto, believe for, no, he says get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheel. You can bring here. Thank you. He says, actually, you know what? You can bring here. He says, get in the wheelbarrow. You see, we have talked about getting out of the boat, right? How many of you have been challenged to get out of the boat? Okay. Because here's the other thing. Some of us are challenged and we don't want to get out of the boat because we never got in the wheelbarrow.
Maybe your challenge right now in obedience and faith and doing something that's really scary is because you never got in. You never got into the boat. You never got in the wheelbarrow. You believe in a lot of stuff. I'm not doubting your sincerity in what you believe in. The question is, are you entrusting yourself? Have you got in? Have you got in? Because when you're in, when he calls you to step out, that kind of makes it easier. Because you're already in. See, you're already all in in getting in. See, that, that's where we have this sort of dichotomy. We have this split, this compartmentalization. It's like, I believe in you, God. And then when he asks you to do something, you're like, oh, now you want me to be all in. You get what I'm saying? We believe in God so we can, we can go, okay, I'm, I'm 50%. Okay, more than, I'm 51%, so I must be saved. And then when he asks you to do something by faith, oh, now you want 100%? He wanted 100% on the front end. He wanted 100% on the front end. See, and then when he calls you to do something by faith, well, okay, I'm already in. I'm already in. It doesn't mean it won't be scary. It won't mean it's up of faith. But it's not an add-on. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? On the front end, he wanted all of us. On the front end, he wants us to trust him completely. Because he knows that in the transformation process, we're going to have to trust him completely. Still. Still. That's what he's talking about here. That's, that's what we have to really settle. So the question for some of us this morning, maybe getting out of the boat that he's challenging you to get out of, take some steps of faith, but maybe, honestly, for some, because the Apostle Paul says, examine yourself to, be, to see if you have the faith. Maybe for some we need to stop this week and say, Lord, whew, am I more about believing in than believing unto? Have I really entrusted my whole being unto you? My whole life, my whole being. Am I, am I completely in? Do I really believe you're going to bring me to the finish line? Because that might be why you're in neutral. That might be why you're struggling with change. That might be why you, you, you know, you're wrestling with God. Because on the front end, you're wrestling with believing in versus believing in two. On the front end, He wants all of you. He wants you to believe unto Him. Right? And then you look at James. He gives this incredible example of Abraham. Let's look at Abraham really quick. James 2. Let's go to verse 20. It says, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions are working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You know what? In the Old Testament, you know what the word believed is defined as? Leaning your whole weight. Leaning your whole weight. It's the same definition. Leaning your whole weight. That's what Abraham did. 
He believed God. He was all in, right? So let's look really quick. Turn to Genesis. We'll do a quick survey. Genesis 12. Look at Abraham's life real quick. Abraham was originally named Abram, right? Genesis 12:1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. Action, right? In response. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he sent out from Haran. Okay? God says something in faith and obedience. Abram acts, right? Turn to Genesis 15. Verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son, okay, a son coming from your own body will be your heir. This is God telling him, foretelling something. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram, they think he's in his mid-80s right now, childless. God says, Hey, you're going to have a son. Look at the stars. That's going to be the number of your offspring. Abram believed him. Put his full weight. And it says in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Right? So you know the story. He comes back when he's 99, the three of them, right? And he says, hey, you're going to have a kid a year from now. So what's the boy's name? Isaac, right? Isaac is born when Abram's 100 years old. God first came to him with 75. 25 years later, it's fulfilled. Isaac is born. Some of you have been waiting on God. Hang in there. Isaac is born. Miraculous, supernatural event, right? But then God asked Abram to do something, Abraham to do something with Isaac, right? So turn to, turn to uh, Genesis 22. So Isaac is born. They think maybe 10 to 15 years later, God comes back to Abraham and says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I will tell you about. What? Okay, you promised me a few chapters back that I was going to have an heir. This is the heir. He's supposed to have a whole bunch of offspring. In fact, that's the line of Jesus. Now you want him to sacrifice him? Anybody ever been challenged by God to do something that didn't make sense? In the human? But what does Abraham do? Okay. He had the faith on the front end. Okay. 
So he takes a, you know, he takes Isaac. They're going to the mount. And I love Isaac. Hey, Dad! I see all the supplies here. I see the wood. Hey, Dad, uh, where's the animal? Oh, don't worry about it, son. God's going to provide. Okay. And you know the story, right? They bring up there. He puts them on the sacrificial altar. He's about to kill him, and the angel says, Stop! Stop! Don't, don't kill him. I now know. Right? Powerful verse. Look at um, look, uh, verse 12, Genesis 22:12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me uh, from me, your son, your only son. Whew. See, here's the thing. On the front end, Abraham believed. And then in his relationship with God, God tested him, tested that belief. See, in our walk with, with the Lord, we're saved by grace through faith. Amen? But we're still going to be stretched to believe with that same faith. Amen? That's the getting out of the boat part. And look what it says. We'll close in Romans 4. Go to Romans 4. The Apostle Paul speaks about this episode. Romans 4, 18. Romans 4.18 Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Right? We just looked at that. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. I love that. He did not waver through unbelief. He had his moments, but it didn't slide into unbelief. It says this, He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that who? God had power to do what he had promised. I love that. You know why? Because in this transformation process, we're going to have to bank on the promise of God and then go beyond that to the promiser. Amen? See, you've got to know the Word of God, but here's the thing. You have to trust the God of the Word. You have to believe the, God, the Word of God, but go one step further. Do you believe the God of the Word? Do you believe not just the promise, but the promiser? Is God able? Hint, memory verse. (laughs) When you and I are called in the transformation process to get out of the boat, we're going to have at times nothing to bank on but the promise and the promiser. That's to walk by faith and not by sight. That is the super abundant natural life that He calls us to. And here's a glorious promise. Okay, As we do that, we'll close, turn to Philippians, Philippians 1 real quick, and we'll take communion. Philippians 1. As we walk in faith and obedience, as we believe the promise and the promiser, 
Here's a promise for you. Philippians 1, 6. Start in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. This is Paul speaking to the believers in Philippi. I also pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here it is. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you hear the promise? Who's going to complete it? Who started it? Who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure? It's all about God. It's all about God and his promise and his ability to fulfill that promise right there. So if you're struggling in the transformation process and you're feeling like, oh man, it's like two steps forward, one step back, hang in there. Because he is faithful to complete what he began in you. Hang in there. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. But my gosh, He's going to complete it. Isn't that great? We know the end of the story. I love that. Because there are times when life is so discouraging. And I'm so discouraged. I get upset at me. And I get upset at God. And I'm just like, oh, 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 oh. And then He says, hey, hold time out. I'm going to complete what I began in you. I'm going to complete what I began in you. Hang in there and walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Lord, thank you that you began the work and you will complete the work. And thank you from Philippians 2 that you work in us to will and to do. And so this morning, as we prepare for communion, want to use it as a time of remembrance of you, Jesus, but also perhaps someone here never really understood that biblical faith wasn't just about believing in, wasn't just about believing facts, but it was actually entrusting our whole life on the front end to you, Jesus. They need to get in. They need to get in. My prayer is for you if you're here that you would put the entirety of your being onto Jesus. Don't just believe facts about Him. Believe Him. Put your weight fully on Him and the truth of Scripture and His ability to fulfill His promises. And Lord, maybe there's someone here who still, you know, maybe through Abraham's example, they'll be encouraged to put their faith in your promises and you as the promiser. That you have the complete ability to fulfill what you have promised. So thank you, Father, for our time in your word. Bring application to us. Bring application to us individually. And in this time of communion now, we just use it as a time of just quiet, quiet reflection to let you, let you speak to our hearts about how to be doers of what we have heard. Jesus. Amen. Word of encouragement uh, before we stand and pray. On the back of your uh, outlines, we kind of changed it up a little bit. I spread out application questions throughout the week with verses. If you would like something to do Monday through Friday, you can look at that. Read the verse, pray on it, meditate on it, and and ask God to to speak to you through that question. I just wanted to give you some practical devotion time. 
uh, throughout the week. So hopefully that's helpful for you. Okay, let's stand together and we'll pray. And we'll come over to the fellowship hall for birthday celebrations. Father, thank you for who you are and loving us like you do. Thank you that your word is truth and for helping us to understand more clearly what it is to believe, what it is to have faith. And now, Lord, may that truth permeate our lives as we leave here. That truly we would walk by faith and not by sight. Truly we would be all in on the front end, yielded, empowered supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And as we walk by faith, Lord, we're excited, we're enthused to see you transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you again for this uh, opportunity to gather as the body of Christ. We love you. We commit the rest of the day into your hands and this week until we gather once again. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.